Today's episode of Green with Envy is brought to you by the Manekis Companies, your Dorchester-centric realtor. Spelled M-A-N-E-I-K-I-S, Charlie Manekis is Dorchester's most trusted realtor. With 55 years of residency in Dorchester, Charlie has deeply rooted community relationships that help connect the dots to deliver trusted home buying and home listing services. Visit themanekiscompanies.com to learn more. Welcome back to Green with Envy, where we bring you everything Boston Celtics and beyond. Tonight, we continue our mini-series, Heroes Among Us, where we connect with fans from opposing teams. And tonight, we welcome in longtime Knicks fan, one-time boat guy, one-time tough guy, Papa Lip Tack. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Uh, one-time tough guy only, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I gotta, I gotta say real quick. You know, if anybody's got your back, it's our guy Liptag here. My man's always ready to scrap. He's ready to scrap if we need it. <laughs> Thanks. I think that might have uh, changed a little bit over the years, but pumped to be on with you guys talking hoops. Uh, first time, long time. Big fan of the pod. Big fan of the series. You guys bringing fellows on too. So happy to be here talking ball. Well, th- thanks for joining us, man. Um, how you feeling about the Knicks this year, man? Uh, it's been exciting. The Knicks, Knicks fans are funny, man. No matter how often uh, our hearts and our hopes, hopes get crushed, just like the, just the littlest sign of something positive, and we like cling on to it and get so excited and go so over the top with it. Uh, that's like the fun part about being a Knicks fan. So, so that is where I'm at currently. Uh, I think we scheduled this pod like 10 days ago and the Knicks were in quite a bit of a different spot for three and three uh, had just beat uh, the Bucks and the Pacers and Knicks fans are feeling good. Uh, from that point on, we've lost four in a row. Uh, the, the holes that I knew were there are starting to show. So I, I think that's kind of what the season's going to be. You're going to see like some, some potential in spurts, uh, but we'll, we'll probably land somewhere, uh, right towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference in that like 8, 9, 10 range, maybe competing for a final spot. But uh, I think it's going to be fun. Like for the first time, Knicks have hope in the front office and trust in our front office. So it seems like it's going to be a fun year trying to figure out like what are the next moves. So let's go there for a second. I, wanna, I, I think it's, you know, I, I want to address what being a Nick fan has led up to this point where now, you know, where you talked about like the front office has been remade. Tibbs, who I want to get your thoughts on here in a little bit, obviously super strong connection to the Celtics, essentially our defensive coordinator in 08, 09 uh, during that championship, you know, run that we had. Um, but, you know, the buildup to this has been, you know, the last 20 years, and I, I want to I try a word association game with you if you'll, if you'll humor me here for a second. I want you to fill in this blank. The last 20 years as a Nick fan has been blank. Torture. <laughs> I just wanted you, I wanted you to fill that in with the word that you felt best. I didn't want to come in here and feel like I was, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I didn't want to throw mm-hmm. my own word in there. And so, you know, you said the word hope. Does this feel, and it's a very different hope, because I think the hope that, like, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, you know, Knicks fans' hope was always, 
we're, we're we got dra- we got dra- we got capital for you know LeBron's coming or you know we're looking to save up and get Giannis. It's always been about a star, and and I get it. New York City of Lights, all that type of stuff. Like you know, big main attractions. Does it feel different with that hope being tied to this really unique and interesting you know young roster that you were talking about? Yeah, it definitely feels different, <clears throat> and it is so sad uh, to think about the the buildup that you called it, which is almost like a rebuild for this team, uh, being a 20-year window, right? We're looking back 20 years for this team uh, to look for some kind of buildup. Uh, Nixon made the playoffs four times in that 20-year stretch and really have only had a competitive team for a single year in that stretch, which is sad. Uh, what, what like led us to this point is years and years of unbelievably bad management. Uh, so the reason that I have more hope today is because for the first time in a long time, I have trust in our front office. Uh, when you go back and look at like the late nineties, Knicks were a joy. Uh, so much fun to watch. Uh, they banged, uh, they competed, they competed for championships and the garden was rocking. Uh, they had so many likable players uh, who are still like my heroes and Ewing and Oakley. Uh, and then Early 2000s came around, and that is the start of like where it feels like James Dolan's fingerprints started to become all over the Knicks team. Uh, late 90s, he hired one of his good friends as GM, uh, Scott Layden, and the team took like an absolute nosedive that it took us 12 years to get out of, I think, pretty much. We traded away Ewing, uh, a fan favorite, for pennies on the dollar. He was old at that point. Um, so it wasn't that it made the team worse. It's that we got nothing back for him and you alienated your entire fan base. That was like the start. Uh, that was like the time I learned James Dolan's name. I'm 11 years old at this point. Uh, and from that point on, we just went through bad decision and bad team management one after another, after another, after another. Uh, we trade away our young talent for Antonio McDice, who's coming off major knee surgery and was never himself. Uh, we sign late in his career, Stefan Marbury to a huge contract who was so bad. Uh, Anthony, Anthony Hardaway, uh, Steve Francis. We just like kept this cycle going. And there was, uh, there was this mindset in New York of like Knicks fans or Knicks media can't handle a, a true rebuild. Uh, so we need to do it competitively. So we'll just like keep trading for these guys, uh, on the back end of their deals, because maybe we can get them cheap, but it like got us to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last, we also had a trade for Eddie Curry in there. So at the time, it was like one of the biggest contracts ever and was, again, so bad. That move alone put us in a cap hole for like six or seven years. Can I, can I jump in real quick? Sure. So I, I want to talk about the 90s Knicks in a second, but I, I really like Will's little word association game. So I got one for you. <laughs> Let's do it. Trading for Carmelo Anthony was blank. Uh, trading for Carmelo Anthony, it, it's hard playing the hindsight game here a little bit. Uh, trading for Carmelo Anthony was. Uh, well, give us two words. Give us, give us two yeah. words. Give us the one that you would use when it actually happened, and then the okay. hindsight word for it. Hindsight, I look back at it on you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Uh, at that point, when I talked about the 10-year rebuild and getting out of these bad contracts, right before that was where we got there. 
Uh, we got rid of all these bad contracts. It was 2010. We started to draft well. We signed Amari. Uh, and it seemed like we had a window. Uh, and Mello, we thought, was the guy who pushed us over the edge. Um, when you think about the NBA now and how it's evolved, having multiple stars is a must now, right? 2010, I don't know if we like fully thought that yet. Uh, but I'm okay with the logic. So, so I'm okay with the move all around. I think uh, Knicks fans were hard on Mello. Uh, I think the critics were hard on Mello. Uh, but I remained a fan. I think he played hard. I think he did, uh, even late, late in his Knicks career, he did what the Knicks asked him to do. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't surround him with the right pieces. We never had a strong game plan. He played with some bad coaches. Uh, so it did not work out. For sure. So in one word, I'm going to summarize everything that you just said into one word being trading for Carmelo Anthony was okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I like it. Now, I, I want to go back to the 90s Knicks for a little bit because as a kid, you know, growing up, I didn't really know that I was supposed to be loyal to a team. Right. I remember being a kid and having uh, Shaquille O'Neal on the Lakers jersey, for instance. And I didn't know that that was a bad thing. Um, and the first team I remember hating was the New York Knicks in the 90s because of Anthony Mason, RIP, right? There was one game I was watching at my Nana's house and Dana Barros, who's my all-time favorite Celtic, had this three-pointer streak where he had like 80-something games in a row with the three-point basket made. And we were going up against the New York Knicks and the Celtics didn't have much to play for. So that game was basically like, how do we continue Dana's streak? To the point where at the end of the game, we were down by like 10 points or something. And the Celtics were just frantically running plays for Dana Barrows. And y'all were like double and triple teaming him away from the ball so he couldn't touch it. And I just remember this one close-up. I forget who was at the foul line, but Anthony Ma- it's just a close-up of Anthony Mason waiting for the rebound. Hands on his knees with the biggest smirk on his face because he knew that Dana Barrows was not going to get that record. And that's the first time I realized that I hate the New York Knicks and I hate all New York teams. I, I love that. I love that. And that's so fitting for, for what that late nineties Knicks team was. Uh, they wanted to hit everybody in the mouth. Uh, they want to be the toughest team on the floor at all times, no matter what. Uh, and, and like their play represented that the, the attitude matched the play. And it was so fun to watch looking back on it would uh, Greg and will today uh, how would you guys feel about that late 90s Knicks team looking from the outside? Ooh, so looking back on it, so r- real quick, I actually was the opposite of Greg. I really liked that those Knicks teams in the night. Those were one of the first teams that I actually liked, that I remember liking. Um, and actually, so it's, it's funny that Greg mentioned jerseys. I have a story that I was ready to tell, and I didn't know Greg was going to talk about uh, his own jersey collection. But the first two jerseys that I remember, ha- well, first three, I guess, because I had a Michael Jordan jersey because everyone had a Michael Jordan jersey. That just, you know, didn't matter. We were, we were all kids in the, in, the, in the mid-90s. Like, you have a Jordan jersey. But the other two that I had were UMass, Matt and I's uh, school that we graduated from, made a run to the Final Four. So I had a Marcus Camby jersey. And the other jersey that I had that I remember I got for Easter. I don't know. if Did you guys get presents for Easter, by the way? I was thinking about this. Did you guys get presents for Easter? No? Okay. Uh, well, it's apparently something we did in the Weir household where it was like an Easter egg hunt, but instead I got like a, a couple of gifts. Like it wasn't like as big as Christmas, but whatever. But the big like final Easter egg or present that I had to find 
was a Patrick Ewing jersey. So one of my first ever jerseys was Patrick because I really like those Knicks teams growing up. So growing up, I was a big fan. Right now, like, I think they're one of my favorite nostalgic teams, which is why I'm glad Greg brought them up. They're, I think they're absolutely one of the most fascinating nostalgic teams because if you look back at that roster, it's actually a really weird fit. Like, I think technically... Actually, let me ask you this, Matt. Who's the second? Clearly, Ewing's the best player on the team. Who's the second best player on that from that '90s run? Like, is it John Starks? Is it Anthony Mason? Is it Charles Oakley? I don't know. Either way, those are all very weird players to be your second best player on a successful, you know, six to eight year stretch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, on the second best player, I probably would say John Starks. But you're right. It felt like they had like a, a pretty solid team from top to bottom. So they had Ewing as as the focal point, and from there it was depend on the the day and time. Uh, I asked about if you guys like that team because I look back at them and say like I don't know how anybody could not love that team. Uh, they talk shit. They played hard. Uh, they're just fun to watch. Well, the the one guy, and maybe he was a little bit later, but I'm pretty sure he was on that team. The one guy that I really liked on the Knicks was Allen Houston. He was the only guy on that whole team that I liked because as, as a shooter, you know, even as a little kid, I was a shooter. So I, I just loved watching Allen Houston shoot the ball. And I, I don't think he was as good as I remember him being. Um, but, you know, to me, I would have thought that he would at least have been in that conversation for second best player. But maybe I'm remembering that wrong. Uh, it's close. The, he came on to the next right at the end of the late 90s. So like 98 or 99. Uh, so it wasn't like their championship years, but he was at the end of that. Uh, it feels like there was almost like two iterations of like 90s Knicks. There's like the one that we were referencing where it's like Ewing, <laughs> Oakley, Mason. And then there's also like, you know, Starks kind of crossed over. To, Starks and Ewing feel like they kind of crossed over to both. And then you had like yep. the Allen Houston, um, what was it, Chris Childs and uh, Charlie Ward and, you know, a few of those other guys. And that's like a second version of the 90s Knicks. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you had like the mid to late 90s Knicks that was Ewing holding it down, and that's Anthony Mason and Oakley. And then like 99, 2000, 2001, that's where it started to be like Allen Houston's team. Uh, you had Larry Johnson, Allen Houston, Sprewell came in on the tail end of that. Uh, so yeah, those those are kind of two different eras. That Right in the middle there is when Ewing got traded. Uh, and at that point, that was like end of end of an era. Well, Maddie, thank you for taking us uh, taking us down that trip to the past. But I, I also want to go a little bit closer um, towards the present day, and just talk about you know your your time at UMass and all the friends that you have that are Boston sports fans, and what it's like as a diehard New York fan to just constantly be surrounded by massholes who love Boston teams. Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, and it was a, a questionable decision by me. I feel like if you told me uh, going into my time at UMass, this is what I would have to deal with, I, I might reconsider uh, deciding to go to that school. So as a New York, a diehard New York sports fan for all teams, uh, I went to UMass in the fall of 2007. Uh, so with that, Boston sports are arch rivals uh, in a couple of different places, right? We have the Jets and the Patriots. We have uh, Red Sox and Yankees. Rangers and Bruins aren't fully on that scale. And Celtics and Knicks aren't fully on that scale. But they're still like a same conference, somewhat of a rivalry there. Uh, I got there in 07, about a month before I started school. The Celtics traded for Garnett. 
uh, about a month after I started school, the Red Sox won the World Series. Like three months after that, the Patriots made it to the Super Bowl and they lost that one. How are you friends with anyone from college? I just, I don't understand. Keep going. I just I had, to, had to jump in and say that. It's a fair question. So we had uh, Patriots made it to the Super Bowl, uh, but lost. Uh, unfortunately for me, I hate the Giants too. So that was like kind of a push. <laughs> had three, four, five months after that, the Celtics won the championship. So we had like all Boston sports teams within my first year there playing or competing for a championship. Uh, and I had no idea what kind of, uh, what that was going to be like. Uh, I did not know what to expect. Uh, UMass is a school that's 80% in-state. Uh, and from that, heavily Boston. And, and I ended up in a group that was surrounded heavily by Boston people that I know you guys can attest for. Will, Will part of that group. <laughs> they matched my diehard fanhood before their Celtic teams, or for all Boston teams. Uh, so I lived in it. Uh, where I was getting crushed all day. Uh, it was the butt of every joke, uh, no matter what time of the year it was, no matter what sport we were talking about. Uh, it, it definitely changed the way that I look at sports on the whole. Tell me more about that. How did, how did it change? Because that's such a, that's such a crazy time given, you know, your arch rival that's, that's having, you just laid out the timeline of, of yeah. everything that happened, but then also just like, you know, your college is just as a general, you know, person, it's a very formative time in your life. So I'm curious to hear how it changed, like your view on sports or, or how it changed your sports watching, like you just mentioned. Yeah. To start early in my college career, I became uh, as big of a fan as I was of anything New York. I was also as big of a fan as anything anti-Boston. So no matter who the Celtics, the Red Sox, the Patriots were playing, I was that team's biggest fan. (laughs) <laughs> well uh, that, that you know i i didn't the first time i actually met you uh we, we didn't really like each other the, the the very first night we met each other at umass um, i'm a boston college guy as you guys know but just for the listeners out there and then like you know as we'll we add became, in the booze in the background <laughs> <laughs> as we became re- uh really close friends down here in austin uh i i kind of didn't get why you you would just constantly just chirp at Boston sports. And I, I, I didn't have the context of, you know, spending four years with you in college. And now this is kind of like putting everything into perspective for me of why, like the moment anything good happens in, in a Boston sports team, inevitably there's a text message from Matt Liptak in the group message, just like shitting on whatever move we just did. And I love it and I appreciate it. And uh, it's really cool being able to talk to you in this environment where we, where we kind of remove a little bit of that, uh, that PTSD that you have from your college experience. PTSD is a good word for it. Uh, I feel like I spent a lot of years lashing out. The other part of that was the, the Boston sports train, like never really slowed down after that first year. Uh, so with that, it took me a long time to get back to the point of realizing that like watching Boston lose doesn't feel as good as, as watching my New York team win. So, so that hate has, has slowly like melted away over the years. Well, I will say, I remember one, and this is a, a mildly good memory for you is I remember, uh, is around the time that all three of us moved here to Austin. It was one of those, you know, years where the Knicks were relevant and they played the Celtics, uh, in the playoffs led by, I know it's your boy, Pablo Pigarini. Um, and you know, that was one of the times where New York got the better of Boston. And that was, that was, I think that was probably the farthest those Carmelo led teams went in the playoffs. So I have that right. Yeah, 
Yeah, you do. That that was our that was uh, the best Knicks team of that era. Uh, we lost in the Eastern Conference Finals that year, uh, if I'm remembering that correctly. But we beat the Celtics. I think it was the semifinals. It was the semifinals. Yeah. Right. Uh, we beat the Celtics. You got to take that away from him too, Greg. You can't let him have the goddamn <laughs> Eastern Conference Finals. Just let the man have it. <laughs> you, you know what it was? We were the number two team in the East coming into the playoffs. But you're right. Got upset by uh, the Celtic or the Pacers and. Uh, Hibbert holding it down. Oh yeah, dude, that, that is the one of the, that's one of the strangest like little sections of NBA history where like Roy Hibbert was taking out Carmelo and going toe to toe with LeBron. He was like a major part of it, and then mm-hmm. the next year he's all of a sudden unplayable and hasn't doesn't have a career anymore. Like it's that's that's a whole other fascinating part. But one of the things that was really cool about that, and it's something I'm hoping we're getting back to, kind of bringing it back to the to the present with this this younger Knicks nucleus is basketball and sports in general it's just better when boston and new york especially for the three of us in here are going at it like there's nothing better when i think back to those red sox yankees games like i'm gonna say from 99 to 04 because before 99 that other 90 stretch was just the yankees kicking our ass the yankees were dominant wasn't that wasn't that that didn't have the same rivalry to it but like 99 through 04 was the coolest rivalry that that i've ever been a part of or i've ever like really felt involved just as a fan and so even when the knicks and celtics for that like you know 2010 2011 where we're somewhat on the same competitive scale that's a lot of fun and, and i really hope we get back there so you know circling back to to this year you know we talked earlier tibbs taking over you have a lot more faith in the front office tibbs tibbs got that connection to the celtics what's the experience like you know, through so far, it's obviously very early in the season, but what's your Tibbs experience been like so far? And what is other Knicks fans feeling like right now as well? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to dive in on that. I would say my expectations were uh, understandably low coming into the season uh, based on what we've seen from this Knicks team the past two years. Uh, and the other thought was like, this Knicks team is like, we have a couple of rookies. This, uh, the roster changed around a little bit, but for, for the most part, this roster is really similar to the roster that Fisdale had uh, to start the year last year. Uh, my like earliest observations watching this team are, it, it seems like a completely new team out there. And I am surprised at how big of a difference going from Fisdale to Tibbs has made. Uh, it is like the, the thing that sticks out to me most. The Knicks now uh, have a plan on offense and have a plan on defense and play hard. When I think back to last year and the Fisdale teams, uh, the Knicks reminded me of the Looney Tunes um, in Space Jam before MJ got there. We're like, they just like <laughs> didn't know what basketball was. You watch the game and you're like, they don't know how to, they don't know how to run an offense and they don't know how to play defense. It's like insane. And maybe it's just because the roster is so bad, right? That's what I had been thinking. But then you come out this year and you see the Knicks team is top five in defensive efficiency and points scored uh, against a hard schedule to kick off the year. And the team is playing hard. And it's like a quick realization of what a difference uh, plugging in a coach like Tibbs can make. And, you know, with, with the offense and the, the, the way that y'all have been able to just look like a basketball team, um, one of the biggest stories coming out of the Knicks' early run this season has been Julius Randle, right? Will and I are big Julius Randle fans. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, I haven't been able to watch a lot of Knicks basketball this year. So what is different about Julius Randle under tips? Yeah, uh, he's been a, a revelation this year. 
somebody that I had high hopes for coming into the Knicks, but based off of what I saw last year, uh, he was the most inefficient player in basketball. When I talk about not knowing how to run an offense, uh, a lot of that came back to him as being our focal point on offense. Uh, this year, a couple of things. One, he had made a point to come in in incredible shape this year and talked about it a lot and talked about being a leader uh, and worked hard with the team in the offseason, and, and it shows. Uh, the other thing is his uh, he's looking to pass this year, like really for the first time in his career, and it has made an unbelievable difference. The offense still runs through him. Uh, he still touches the ball as much or more than he has in the past, but he is passing the ball at a rate that he has never done before. Uh, so he is constantly drawing doubles and triples at times, and he's done a, a fantastic job being able to find the open guy, find the slasher, uh, which is like right where Barrett fits. Um, when you look at Randall on the season, he's averaging seven assists, seven assists a game right now in his first 600 games in his career. So before this season, he had seven or more assists six times total. Sheesh. Uh, and this year he's averaging it. Uh, so like that right there has made all of the difference in his game and our offense. Uh, in the last year, he's dribbling into these doubles and triples and he's forcing a bad shot. Uh, he's taking bad fadeaways. Now he has the ability to find the open man uh, and it opens him up to get a double and triple less often. Uh, he's getting rid of those inefficient shots. So now his actual scoring is only coming on efficient buckets Uh and he's dishing out assists, so the team's scoring off of his passes. So, uh, like, that one thing alone is the number one difference in our offense this year versus last year. Quick, quick follow-up on Randall, and then I want to I hit mm -hmm. two, other, two of the young guys that you have that I got a, a couple questions about. I want to get, like, a temperature check from you. For mm -hmm. Randall, do you see him as – because he's still – he's only 26. So, do you see him – and I, I think he has one more year after this maybe – uh, do you see him as part of the future or do you see the way that he's playing now as a guy that you can parlay into multiple pieces or draft picks or just how do you view that and which one maybe do you prefer? So I think that is what's most exciting for me about having a front office I trust for the first time is it seems like the Knicks have so many different options for directions they can go from here. Uh, for Randall specifically, uh, there were lots of rumors that they were trying to trade him. Uh, around the trade deadline last year, in the offseason this year, uh, to just shed salary uh, and open the books back up. They drafted uh, Toppin, who plays a similar position and, and you think would probably play a similar role in the offense. So you know they were trying to trade him at some point if they can get the right package. And then they drafted somebody who they probably look at as his replacement. Uh, so if you asked me this question two months ago, I would have said, if they can get anything for him, they're going to dump him. If not, uh, as soon as the contract is up, they're moving on. Uh, the way he has played this year has changed my opinion on that. And now I think there is absolutely a way that I can picture him as part of our long-term plans. Yeah, I think it's interesting. He's certainly played himself out of, you know, like you said, what the conversation would have been two months ago. And he's mm -hmm. given you more options, which is only a good thing. You know, as we've seen the NBA teams are constantly, you know, in fluctuation. There's, you need to be able to pivot to different strategies. So, you know, Randall just opens up more opportunities. Um, one of the other guys I want to talk about, so there's, there's, there's two real young guys in your team, 
that I think are really interesting. And, you know, Greg talked about, we've we've both been fans of, of Julius Randle, and it's like, I, I never thought he put it together with seven assists a game like this. That, I'll be honest, I did not see that coming. We definitely had some Julius Randle stock that, you know, he could be a big-time contributor on a me, in a meaningful way. Um, but let's talk about R.J. Barrett. Where where are you? Where's Nick fans at with RJ Barrett? You know, like Greg, I haven't seen a ton of the Knicks, but I'm actually really excited to watch him because coming out of college, that that Duke team was good, but also was really weird fit with him, Zion, Cam, and then they didn't have a lot of spacing. It was mostly just you know RJ and Zion. You guys just do whatever, and you guys are both like so talented that we'll make it to the Elite Eight and figure it out. And I feel like, you know, just from the highlights I've seen of Barrett, the box scores I check in on, one night he's real up, one night he's real down. It still seems a little inconsistent. And, um, you know, his shooting was something that was a little bit of a concern coming out of Duke. I didn't realize this until I looked it up today, that he's shooting 18% from three. So definitely a little room for improvement. But what's the what's the temperature check with, uh, with RJ Barrett for you and Knicks fans? Yeah, so he matches uh, what I thought about what the next season is going to look like. I mentioned on earlier, I think they're going to show spurts of potential and have chances to go on some mini runs where they they beat potentially some good teams, but there's going to be stretches where this team looks bad. Uh, and I think a lot of my point of view on that is a reflection on what I expect out of Barrett based on what we've seen. Uh, overall, he remains wildly inconsistent. Uh, you would, it would not be a stretch to say that he is the least efficient basketball player in the NBA so far this season. Uh, very Tibbs fashion. He leads the league in minutes. So he's playing a ton. Uh, he's touching the ball a ton, but, uh, like you mentioned, he's shooting 18% from three, he's shooting below 40% from the field in general. Uh, so there are some ups and downs, but he does have some nights where he's hitting, uh, you can see the stroke. Uh, you know that there is potential there. The athleticism is there. Uh, his upside as a slasher is there. If you can figure out how to shoot and create, he's got like massive, massive upside. He just hasn't shown that with any form of consistency yet. Yeah. So what are we going to expect to see when we play the Knicks? Because, you know, when I think of RJ Barrett in college, I think of him as just like, you know, getting the ball at the top of the key, driving left, putting his head down and forcing up a layup. And then like he was so strong, he would just get the offensive rebound and put it back in or Zion will clean mm-hmm. it up. So like, is Tibbs putting him in positions as a primary ball handler? Is he coming off the of screens? You know, what do we expect out of RJ Barrett? Yeah, good question. And I, I think it's a mix. I think Tibbs is trying to figure out where, where Barrett fits in this too. Uh, he definitely does get looks as the primary ball handler at times. But that's another area that he has not shown that he can uh, like create and facilitate uh, to be running the, the point forward or the primary ball handler position consistently or throughout the game. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the offense still runs through Randall in current state. Where Barrett has been at his best is uh, when the offense gets moving a little bit, Randall is looked at as our main creator. And we allow Barrett to uh, slash, to try to move some defenders around and, and get open, moving down the lane with momentum as opposed to trying to create on his own or coming off the screen trying to shoot. Uh, so with that, we have a bunch of young ball handlers that are unknown. Some are unknowns. Some are uh, subpar players is what it seems like. Uh, Knicks have also been dealing with some injuries. So those guys have also been cycling through in and out. So there's, I don't really have a good feel for exactly what uh, the backcourt is going to look like on a consistent basis when it's full. Right now, it's been Alfred Payton, 
uh, running the point for us as a primary ball handler. He has not played well this season or shot the ball well, to, to be frank. Uh, we have seen some flashes. Rivers has run point at times with the twos, uh, and he shot the ball really well this season, so he's shown some flashes. Uh, quickly is another really interesting yes. one. Uh, this is the next guy I wanted to go to. Tell, tell us about Quickly. I know, like, you know, just on basketball podcast, people mm-hmm. are loving this dude quickly. I, tell me about him. I don't know much about him. And, re- and real quick, also, before you jump in, I looked at his stats, right? So for all the buzz that's going on about Quickly, it doesn't seem like he's playing a lot of minutes, and, like, yeah. the basic box score stats don't really stand out. So what is it like? Why, why do I keep hearing about Emmanuel quickly? Yeah. So the, not a lot of minutes. There are two things there. Uh, one, he dealt with an injury early in the season where he missed a couple games. And then on a couple games back, he only played five to 10 minutes. Uh, as he was trying to get reacclimated. And this is as a rookie with no real off season coming into, he's also an undersized rookie at the same time. So him trying to catch up on speed and strength is, is going to be a big thing for him moving forward. Uh, the other piece is Dibbs plays a short bench and, and he runs his guys into the ground. So he likes to play seven or eight guys and quickly hasn't been in that rotation. So with that, uh, Nick's fans and critics media have only seen bits and pieces of him. So when he does play, it's mm-hmm. uh, 10, 15 minutes a game. But he's had times where he's gotten hot and Dibbs has ended up riding him through an entire fourth quarter in a close game. Um, so I'm hoping those numbers will continue to grow as he continues to develop. There's definitely still work that needs to be done on that front. Uh, overall on quickly, he was drafted as, uh, he's supposed to be a good shooter, uh, quick release, uh, can shoot off the dribble, can shoot coming off picks is what I heard about him. Uh, he's undersized to play two, Um, and he's got kind of like a thin frame. Right. So he uh, he's got like almost like a Trey Young build to him. Uh, and I like that comparison. And I'll come back to it in a bit. Uh, he wasn't look he wasn't the primary ball handler often at Kentucky. So we didn't look at him as a point guard. And the Knicks obviously have point guard problems. So everybody asks, like, why, why didn't we draft a point guard? Uh, but he has been primary ball handler for the Knicks at times when he's played. Uh, and the offense has looked good uh, when that's happened. He is uh, incredibly quick. That, that good shot I mentioned, we haven't seen much of. He actually hasn't shot the ball a ton. Uh, it hasn't shot many threes. Uh, but he does, uh, he's able, similar to Trey Young, he has like an uncanny ability to draw fouls. Uh, so get past defenders, get into the paint and draw fouls no matter what uh, the scenario is, which is such a valuable skill in today's NBA, right? And back to the Trey Young example, who's like, uh, who's unbelievable at that. Um, for, a, for an undersized guard, must be a ball handler, that skill is like is going to be mandatory if you really want to elevate your game. Uh, so, so that piece, knowing he can shoot and seeing his ability to create and then draw fouls in situations is the upside that has everybody like, let's see what this kid can do. Um, since that point, after he had a huge fourth quarter against the Pacers, a game we won early in the season, he's had a couple down outings since then. So... The buzz has died down a little bit. He's still only playing 10, 12 minutes a game. Uh, so he's got work to do. He's got to earn those minutes. But the upside and potential is there that is enough to have everybody excited. Well, can can he teach Jason Tatum how to get to the free throw line? 
Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> no, that's that's just a for Greg and I. That's one of the things that we've as good as Jason Tatum has been. He's just awful at getting to the line. He he for him every night it feels like he has to you know make fifteen buckets to get thirty points because he just doesn't mm. get to the line. But that's a that's a whole other issue that that's for another day, man. But you know, I, I saw a stat uh, about Tatum the other day. I was looking at Randall's usage numbers and saw that. Uh, one of the few worst passers with as high of a usage usage rate in the NBA is Tatum. Interesting. Yeah. How did they define like, like in the fact, like was bad passer like equated to turnovers or what was like, what, what do they define as bad passer? I would have to go back and find that. I think it was points created uh, was the main number they were coming back to. This, this, this feels like one of those things that lip tech just puts into the group (laughs) chat. just. I was gonna say this feels like lip tactics right here, right at the end. This is this is perfect. This is the chirp that we were looking for. But the, before we let you go, lip tact, there is something we need you to do. We do this with every single one of our guests. We have it in our doc here that we share. So I know you know it's coming. We are green with envy. So we need you to tell us just one thing. Greg Greg made poor Alex tell us three different things that he that he was envious of. We're gonna, we'll keep it to one. One thing that you're envious of as a Nick fan. Looking at the Celtics, uh, Kemba Walker. It's it's having a competent point guard. Uh, I, I grew up playing point guard. I think there's so much value in the point guard position, and the Knicks have not had a competent uh, point guard and ball handler in so long that that I am so envious that you guys do have one. That's fair. And, you know, Kemba being a, a New York guy, you know, I think that was uh, – we'll put that right in a T for you. I was kind of hoping to push a little bit more. If you want to talk more about how, how you're jealous of the Jays, you can do that, Lip Tech. But we won't put you through that if you don't want to. Uh, I'm good with that. <laughs> the Jays offline. It's been years in the making there. Uh, before we go, quick prediction from you guys. How are we feeling about Nick Celtics – uh, this upcoming Sunday. Any predictions for the game? Um, I'll go first here. I think that you guys actually have a shot in this game just because the Celtics have been off all week due to COVID and we don't know who's going to be playing. So it, it should be a fun little game. Um, I, I'll give you this one. I'll say I'll say Knicks on Sunday. I don't know what the line is, but maybe we could put some put some bucks on it. Yeah, I would. I'm kind of in the same boat there. I mean, you know, I feel better know that we're playing, you know, the second favorite team in New York behind the Nets. Um, so I feel a little bit better, you know, playing that younger brother as opposed to the the big, bad, big brother with all them stars in, in Brooklyn. So, you know, I, I feel a little bit better about the Celtics' chances. But no, no, it's, it's, it's very much the same thing as Greg said. We're coming off. We haven't practiced all week. We, we're supposed to play tomorrow, TBD. We'll see. Um, Real quick, though, yeah, Will. Yeah. I, w- I need to get Lip Tack's thoughts on James Harden to the Nets and just, like, do the Brooklyn Nets have any chance of stealing New York for at least the time while these three stars are there? I uh, love it. Well, I'm surprised it took you that long to throw in a, a Nets jab at the Knicks fan. Yo, I was actually, as we were wrapping up, I started to get really mad at myself that I hadn't done it yet. So as Greg was talking, I was like, all right, how am I going to word this? I've got to bring this up somehow. <laughs> Something that I, I didn't get to mention before, but that I thought about uh, when we are talking about uh, the hope that comes with being a Knicks fan and why it's so fun to be a Knicks fan is, I was going to say, uh, Knicks are the only basketball team in New York where uh, the Giants have the Jets, the Mets have the Yankees, the Rangers have the Islanders, the Knicks dominate New York City. Uh, Because they are the only 
basketball team that anybody cares about there. So it's fun when they're good because the entire city rallies around them. Uh, with that, I'm as a basketball fan, I'm excited to see the Harden trade. I have no idea what's going to come of it. I have no idea what that offense is going to look like, but it's like a really fun experiment to, to watch from the outside. Uh, I don't know how I would feel if that was my team. I talked about the Knicks making bad trades and trading away future assets and signing bad contracts for a 20 year stretch already. So like I'm good on that front. Uh, as far as owning New York, I, I honestly can say that that is something that is never going to happen with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Knicks are like instilled in, in New York culture. And it is something that New York fans like genuinely care about the Nets. Uh, the Nets are like the new gentrified pop-up shop that came in, right? They signed the hipsters, they're a new team. They got a flashy new arena. Uh, but everybody who's from New York is like, fuck those new guys who moved in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I, I think it's, I, I would say my best guess is it's probably very similar with the Lakers and Clippers that like mm-hmm. it's LA it, like no matter what. And I think everyone that's talked about it, that I've heard, you know, that's been in LA, like, you know, you can see all these Clippers billboards. They can say, Hey, we got Kawhi, we got Paul George. And obviously now the Lakers have LeBron, but even without LeBron, like, and even when it was Lob City, it still felt like an LA town and LA was trash. They were terrible. And it still felt like a Lakers town. So, you know, I think New York from, you know, from what you told me, from what other, you know, Knicks fans that, that I've talked to, it sounds like it will forever and always be a Knick town. That feels like a good comparison. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, yo, thank you so much for jumping on, man. This was years in the making. Um, we tried to get you back in the day, my old um, Amherst public television show with our guy, Ted Barry. Me and Ted, who is our guest friend of the Green With MV podcast on the Tommy, he- Tommy Heinsohn uh, episode that we did here. We upgraded with Greg, got Ted out of here, finally got you on. We couldn't get you on Around the Valley, but we got you on Green With MV, and uh, this was awesome, man. We're going to have you back on soon. Though. A lot of fun. Thanks for having me, guys. I hit the notes. You had me taking off and you took off your clothes. I should be coming down by now, but they won't.